Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honestly excited and motivated to talk to Jennifer Smith today, CEO of Scribe, and dive into some of the stuff that we're dealing with here as sales professionals in the new world that we're living in. So Jennifer, thanks for jumping on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Right on. And tell us about your background and how you came to start Scribe. Yeah. So I started my career as a consultant at a firm called McKinsey. I worked with a lot of financial services companies in particular in the operations and organization practice. So that's a fancy way of saying I spent a lot of time in customer contact centers in various parts of the country flying around and spending most of my day sitting next to agents and looking over their shoulder nine to five and trying to figure out what they were doing and how they were spending time and how they could be better at it, which was a ton of fun for them, as you can imagine, but was interesting learning for me, at least. And anyone who does any of that kind of work, you learn, you build incredible empathy for anyone who's you know spending all day talking to customers. You know, the thing that kind of really stuck with me from that is, as a consultant, at least, the name of the game was you figure out who the best agents are and you befriend them. And then you just ask them, like, what are you doing differently compared to everyone else? And they just tell you, right? They'd pull out, I'm dating myself, this was 15 years ago, a really thick binder and they'd dunk it down on the desk. And they'd say, here are all the things I was trained to do. It took me two, three weeks, maybe even four weeks when I first joined, right? And they trained me on all these sets of things. I had to memorize all this stuff. But you know, I've been doing this for a bit now. And like, I found 30 shortcuts or like all these better ways. As a consultant, my team would take that and we'd write that up and we'd sell that back to our clients for a whole bunch of money. And I always thought, well, if those people had had a way to just share what they'd figured out how to do, like they could have had really big impact on their colleagues, right? Like what if you had a really easy way to capture and understand the best of what the best people know how to do and share that across everyone? And so fast forward, I then was in venture capital, investing in enterprise software and spent a lot of my time talking to buyers of enterprise software. I counted when I left, I talked to over 1200 CIO, CTO, CTO type folks and to just try to understand like, what problems are you trying to solve? What, where are you seeing gaps in the market? What tech do you wish existed? And this idea kept coming up over and over again of, gosh, I have all of this know-how in my company and it's still like mostly trapped in people's heads and it's really hard to get it out, right? We spend a lot of time like just trying to talk to people or train them. And so that's really where kind of Scribe came out of, to me, this idea of, well, gosh, couldn't we just use technology? Like, what if we could watch the best people do work and automatically capture what they know how to do? What if sharing something with someone, a process that you know how to do, you figured out, was as easy as just a couple clicks of the mouse and doing the thing you normally do anyways? So we ended up starting the company a few years ago. We're a tech company based here in Silicon Valley. And I guess, as they say, the rest is history. Oh, <laughs> nice. And so, okay, what an amazing education in talking to, like you kind of combined two of your major experiences and said, okay, wait a minute, I think I can unlock a great idea here. Yeah, there's a great Steve Jobs quote that you can connect the dots only when you look backwards. <laughs> and that's very much how it feels. I mean, if at the time when I'm sitting in Utah in a contact center, right, and you had said, Jennifer, this is going to lead you to Silicon Valley, like running a company someday, I probably would have laughed, right? But certainly, like, when I look back in retrospect, like, all those sets of experiences led me to where I am now. And it's a really fulfilling feeling to sort of feel like, oh, I feel like the dots have kind of connected in my life and it's led me to this place. And I'd say there's a big personality component to it, too, for me. I had a professor in business school who said, find the thing you're always apologizing for about yourself and find a way to get paid for it. 
And I'm obsessed with efficiency and processes. Like I just care deeply about doing things efficiently and get really upset if they're not done efficiently. And so I think, you know, this company also just kind of scratches that like personality cork for me. Oh, my God. What a great quote. So find something you're always apologizing for and make flip it into your. How did you say that? Yeah. Find the thing you're always apologizing for about yourself and find a way to make money on it. Like find a way to make it your career because it's your superpower. Right. I I think we spend so much time in career development and schooling at kind of everything that we're ever formally taught. Think about even when you get feedback. Right. People will often say like, "Okay, you're good at these things. Here are the things you're not so good at that you need to get better at. I think that's a big disservice to everyone because you know what the world rewards like the real world. Like you being really good at something and you could be really bad at a whole bunch of other things. But if you're like really good at one particular thing, like chances are you can find a way to make money for it. Like if you're really great at just building relationships with people or having empathy with people, like you can be a really great salesperson and you could be terrible at like a whole bunch of other skills that maybe school cares about or other jobs we care or whatever. And it doesn't really matter. Like the thing you should do is try to spend as much of your time as possible honing that superpower that you have and making sure you're in a role that rewards that. That's so amazing. So it's what you're apologizing for. So you found yourself apologizing for being like super process oriented and upset and if like, you were to ask my husband, he would be okay. like, it's very frustrating. Like, we, I'll run errands. I'll be like, I've got four things I have to do. I will sit there and like map out the process and figure out how I can do two errands at once and like delegate to him what he should be doing. And he's like, can we just have a Saturday afternoon? Like, why? Oh <laughs> why do you have to like do this the most efficient way possible? And I'm like, I can't help myself. That's so interesting, though, because it's so right. I mean, and everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses, right? And so in like a good, you know, partner or co-founder kind of plays on each other's. And if they can find a good groove, then it's magical, you know? Totally. I mean, when you're thinking about building a team, especially a cross-functional team or where you're kind of divvying up responsibilities, you want to think about what am I really great at? Am I, what am I not so good at? Or maybe I'm good at it, but I don't enjoy doing it. And so I'm probably not going to be great at it. And how do I find someone who really spikes in that area? And you try to build that well-roundedness. Do you know what you apologize for? Me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's why it's like blowing my mind, that advice, because how do you monetize like being super disorganized and like out of control and there's tons of papers on your desk and stuff like that? But that usually comes with something. That usually means someone like has a bunch of really great ideas or mm-hmm. gets inspired really easily or like can juggle money. That usually comes with a lot of things. Like I remember when I first started working in venture capital, like I could not get over how ADD all the investors were. I mean, literally it would be like, oh, shiny squirrel, right? And they they were like immediately distracted by something else. But it's part of what makes them great investors because they're always hunting for what is the next cool, interesting, you know, quote unquote, shiny company to be investing in. And so there's always like a positive framing and a negative framing for any of these things. So you say maybe disorganized piles of paper, but I bet there's a really strong positive framing to that. There's got to be somewhere, right? (laughs) It's like in there somewhere. It's also makes me think of my younger son. You know, he's got these amazing strengths of public speaking and leadership and organizing. And then, you know, he struggles with other things that it's almost like he's kind of being like shoehorned into. And I see it from being, you know, a million years older that, oh, you know, it's like, 
he's kind of gravitating towards certain things that he's really good at, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know what a schooling situation is, but sort of like I grew up at our traditional public school system and like, what will teachers do? They'll talk about how like he's not great at math and needs to be better at this, that and the other thing. And and that's good and fine and whatever. But like, really, the message he should be hearing is like, wow, you've got really great natural leadership potential. Like you love public speaking. That's an amazing skill. Like, let's make sure we get you into debate and like you get a chance to like do more of the thing that you love. Yeah, exactly. And I wish, you know, because you like you get tied up in the results, like you get the report card and it's like it becomes like an ego thing, you know, and it's like I wish you could just somehow get in their head like, you know, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, it's the real world is different than school when you get out and all that. But it's a challenge, you know, so I think the hardest thing for people transitioning into the workforce is like not realizing that. And still treating it like it's school, right? And sort of being like, okay, well, tell me what I need to be doing. Like, if I do this, well, I get the gold star on the other side. And that works for a little bit, right? But anyone who like leads teams or has been through that themselves knows it's more about like, you got to figure out for yourself, what are the things I'm great at? How do I carve out roles? How do I go to places that really reward that and let me build upon that? And that's like, that's incumbent on you. That's not like a gold star system that will do that for you. 100%. And it's tricky, too, because especially as you're new, you know, to the workforce, like, say you get into sales, and it's like, the company needs you to produce a certain result. And if you're still kind of trying to figure out, you know, what am I good at? And where am I going with all this? And sales, you know, seems cool, like, (laughs) like, they're getting on planes, and they're flying around and visiting customers and stuff. I'll go ahead and do this. But then, you know, you're like under a lot of pressure to perform. Yeah. So I think you have to come back to why are you into it? Yeah. Right. Like, why are you doing sales? And for most people, it's because they get a lot of energy from solving problems for customers. Right. And so I think you always got to orient yourself on like, why? Why am I doing this? Right. Why is this important to me? And then I talk a lot about I'm obsessed with efficiency. I I think a lot about how do you spend your time doing your why, like doing your superpower and the thing you're really great at. So if you're in sales, it's like, if you got into it because you love solving problems for customers, how do you make sure you're spending as much of your time as possible talking to customers, right? And like, this is where, you know, what we've built with Scribe and like what I think a lot about is like, let's use software and other things to pull away the rest of it, right? Anytime you're spending, not selling, not talking to customers, it's time you're doing something that's probably an energy drain for you, right? Because it's not the reason that you got into it in the first place. And so like, what can you do to pull that stuff away? Or if you're managing teams, like how can you pull that stuff away for your team? Yeah. One thing too, is like, there's all this tribal knowledge locked up and it's in people's heads about how to do things and how to do things really well, but getting it from inside somebody's head to like a step-by-step, you know, process is really hard. Like I've found it's hard in building a company of like, I know how to do everything and not everything, but I know how to do like a lot of the stuff in the company, but it's like, okay, now I need to teach someone. Like, how do you think about getting that out of somebody's head and in front of them, like, you know, with what you're building? Yeah. I mean, it's such a huge problem for any role, right? Whether you're scaling your company, you're hiring some new people, or you're just trying to up-level your existing people, right? And you've got all this really valuable know-how that lives in everyone's heads. And if you want to get it out of their head into someone else's, 
like right now, if you're not using technology, what are your options? You tell someone, take time away from your job and write down this step-by-step, stop talking to customers and here's a Google doc and like copy paste some screenshots in, right? Or you have like one-on-one trainings. Hey, I'm going to like, this is how it often happens. Like we're going to be over Zoom together or whatever, right? And I'm going to spend a bunch of time teaching you. And that has a bunch of drawbacks. It obviously takes away, it takes a lot of time for the person doing the teaching. And for the person learning on the other side, I can't tell you how many learns I talked to her like, oh, I was just on a 30 minute call and like someone showed me how to do this stuff. And it was great. And then I got off the call and I got through the first three steps and then I forgot mm-hmm. what they said. Yeah. And I was too embarrassed to call them back. And so, you know, I just sort of gave up. Right. And and so with Scribe, we said, well, what if we could just watch you do the work you know how to do and automatically create that documentation for you? What if documentation became like digital exhaust? It's just the byproduct of you doing the thing you would do anyways. So the way that our software works just at a really simple level is it's a browser extension or a desktop application. You hit the record button and you just do the thing you know how to do. Like, here's how I add a lead into Salesforce, right? Click record, add your lead into Salesforce click stop record and boom, Scribe will auto-generate a step-by-step written guide with screenshots that show how to add a lead in Salesforce. Like step one, log, you know, log in to www.salesforce. Step two, click on opportunity. Step three, right? And you can customize that. But the idea is like all the info someone would now need to know how to add the lead in Salesforce is automatically there. And you didn't have to take time away from doing your work to teach them. And now you've turned what's in your head into something that is scalable like media or software, rather than it being something you have to share one-on-one. That's what you're doing with this podcast, right? You're taking the information you have in your head and you are now turning it into scalable media so it can be consumed by many, many people. We think about Scribes as doing that for all of your process knowledge, now taking what's in your head and automatically creating guides that are now scalable across as many people you need to share that with, whether that's you know a group of colleagues you're trying to onboard or even customers that you're trying to teach or future people who you think might have, you know, questions. And now there's a scribe there for that. So they'll just look at the scribe rather than bother you. Mm. And so in the old days, like five years ago, you would just write like a list of things and put screenshots into a wiki, right? And nobody would read it. And then they'd be like, hey, how do you do this? So how does it work for somebody that comes in and they want to learn a process or they've got questions about a process and they go back and watch one of the scribes. Yeah. So we've we've really optimized the format of them, like in thinking about like learning design and how do people best consume information. And so we said, what's the great part of like a video or watching someone show you in person? You're like, well, the fact that it's visual, right? It's kind of unambiguous what to do. But we said, well, could we put that in a format that's self-paced and self-guided and sort of accessible at any time? And so that's why it's a step-by-step guide with written instructions, but also screenshots that show you exactly where you should be clicking and what you should be doing. So if someone has a question on how to do the full process, they can see the whole thing. But if they're like, oh, I've done this before, I just forget what step six is, they can quickly jump ahead to step six, right? And so we think a lot about how do you now make that information available to people in the moment that they have the question so they could even not have to go to you and ask you, right? There's already a scribe there. And so what we see with teams is they'll create all of this documentation as they're doing processes. You just build it up over time. When you generate that quarterly report in Salesforce, you just are like, okay, I'll create a scribe for that, right? And then you have a built up repository over time that shows how to do these sets of things. And we invest a lot in the product and making it now available to learners in the moment, in the place they have the question. So when they're on Salesforce and they're going to the lead, you know, at a lead or something like 
there's the scribe extension there. And if you click it, it'll say, hey, there's some recommended scribes for the site that you're on right now. Looks like you're about to add a lead in Salesforce. Like here's a scribe on how to add a lead in Salesforce. (laughs) Do you want to follow along and see it? Right. And so it's like it's getting progressively more intelligent in this idea of like now at the moment that you have the question, can we make it so you don't even have to go ask someone or seek it out somewhere else? Go find that wiki that hasn't been updated in two years and no one ever looks at it. It's probably incorrect. Right. Like, can, can we now make it where like it's just immediately at your fingertips in that moment? And so the idea is like, what if you could make the best of what everyone on your team knows how to do? What if you could tip open your head and imagine you're almost pouring out all the know-how that you have, make that automatic, automatically capture that so you don't spend any more work and now just make that available to everyone on your team. So now they're not even asking you questions. They can just do it as well as you do it. Oh, that is amazing. And so does the whole thing sit in the browser extension or is there like a playbook that you can go to that's on the scribe site if you want to, or does it just, it's all fully self-contained in the browser? It's both. So we also have, you know, like team workspaces where you can like have all of the, you know, the scribes and there's other media you can create and scribe. You can create pages, which are like uh, collections of scribes you put together. So like maybe it's like a new hire onboarding checklist, right? And there's like 20 scribes that are part of that and a bunch of other contexts. So you can create those kinds of things. And so you can build out a whole kind of knowledge repository within scribe if you want. But we've got a lot of customers who are like, oh, I already have a repository somewhere else. We built something homegrown. We've got a wiki that we've got a love-hate relationship with, but we're going to keep using it. And so We've also made it so that you can embed scribes anywhere that accepts iframes. So it's literally hundreds of different tools where you can now have a persistent link to the scribe and have it appear automatically in that tool. It's really this idea, like if you think about what you're trying to do with your teams, you're just trying to make it so that they have the best accurate information that they need to do their job in the moment they need to do it immediately, right? And so we said, like, that should be wherever that person is living and working and knows to get that information. So maybe that's directly on the page they're on in their browser. Maybe that's within the Scribe workspace on our website. Maybe that's like within your personal wiki or your Confluence or whatever tool you use. Like, that's great. Let's just make sure it lives there. And let's make sure they all link together. So they're persistent links so you don't have version control issues and all of that badness. Oh, my God. Okay, so you got an answer for everything. (laughs) Hats off. This isn't like... You should have someone scribe you on this podcast so that you can give this out to <laughs> this all the sales. scalable media, though, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could tell Listen I'm looking to by at maybe this. more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This is great. And I can see Harvard and Princeton alum. I can tell it's definitely showing up. And the reason I ask is like, we struggle with this, right? Because we have, you're going to laugh, like our process procedure thing is a Google spreadsheet that links out to individual Google Docs that nobody reads. Yeah, I'm not laughing. I see that all the time. How much fun did you have putting it together? Oh, it was so fun. But I've been doing this for five years. So it's just like, you know, it was a question of pulling it all together into this operations manual, right? That hasn't been touched. And since I put it together, That's what's really hard about those things too, right? Is it probably took you a bunch of time to put together. Like maybe you had fun. I've never met anyone who's had fun actually putting those things together, right? They're kind of painful. And then it becomes this negative feedback loop because you put it together and you're like, okay, I spent a whole bunch of time doing this and here you go. And then maybe people look at it. Maybe they don't, you don't really know, right? And then 
you probably forget about it because you're like, I don't know if people are really looking at it. And so then it goes stale and then it's inaccurate. And then people definitely don't look at it. And then you say, well, I'm not going to invest in updating this and building it out further because people aren't looking at it. And so you get this downward spiral. And so we thought a lot in the product too about how do you make these positive feedback loops, right? Which is, oh, wow, you invested this time. By the way, the average scribe takes 56 seconds to create. So he didn't invest that much time, but you invested 56 seconds, right? You know, now like people are looking at it and here's what they're saying and here's how they're commenting. And like, by the way, this is really valuable content, right? And so like, how do you make it so that people want to share and like see the value in it? Yeah. Well, and the user base from tens to thousands to hundreds of thousands in nine months. So who are the companies that you're seeing use this and having great success? Is it just sales? Is it more the whole company? Like who's getting the most value from it? Yeah, it's both our greatest challenge and opportunity as a company is the fact that it's really varied. We see everything from kind of like, you know, the independent consultants or really small business all the way up to Fortune 10 companies. And it's everything from like, we're going to have our entire team on Scribe because we're a really small team and we're all collaborating together to like, okay, it's like this part of the sales department or the sales enablement team that's creating content across our entire sales force. So it really depends on what people are trying to solve for. And we also see internal and external use cases, right? So we've talked about how do I help onboard, train, up-level my existing sales team? How do I ensure consistency across processes? Like, I know internally, our sales ops team uses Scribe all the time to get our sales team to, like, do things correctly in Salesforce to make sure that, like, our data is clean, right? Just as a small example. But then we see a lot of external use cases too, right? I'm a salesperson. I'm doing a pilot with a customer. They have a question on our software, right? Now I can just send them something that feels really bespoke and white glove. Took me 56 seconds, but like very clearly lays out to them how they can be successful in our software and what they need to do. So there's, again, like kind of the biggest challenge and opportunity for us is the fact that it's sort of whatever people need it to be in the vein of like, I just have to get someone to do this process a particular way, whether that's my colleague, whether that's my customer, whether that's a client, right? Whether that's my mom and I just need to help her like configure our Wi-Fi router correctly. I don't know what it is, right? There's so many different potential applications for that, but it's all the same workflow, right? It's all like, okay, I'm just going to click record and do the thing that I do anyways, the thing that I know how to do. And now I have an unambiguous kind of foolproof automatic guide that I can share with anyone who has this question now or in the future. The digital exhaust, right? And I mean, one of the big things is driving efficiency across business operations, you know, for at a high level. And you could see how if people are spinning their wheels and getting totally burnt out because they're bugging their manager to try to get these processes and stuff like that, that this could help align, you know, the energy of the people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I talk about it as like a problem hiding in plain sight, because I think we all just assume this is the cost of doing business. Like we all yeah. just kind of deal with the daily frustration of, oh, I, I didn't quite know how to do that in the software. I had to ping my colleague or I kind of figured it out on our own. That really adds up. McKinsey did a study and they estimate that knowledge workers spend 20% of their week just trying to find info on how to do their jobs. That's yeah. one day a week. We've had customers that have done really detailed time studies, like down to like 
write down in seven minute increments how you spend your time, like a lawyer kind of thing across their workforces and their client facing ones. They found they spend like on average nine to 13 percent of their time just asking and answering questions to each other about how to do their job. Hey, how do I do this report again? Like, how am I supposed to do this thing over here? And that's a big time sink. It's also, to your point, a huge energy sink. It doesn't feel good, right? To not know how to do something. It's just part of like sort of the frustrations and like the minor annoyances of being in a job. But you add that up over time and it kind of weighs you down. I'll tell you the flip side of that. I still feel this today. Whenever I have a question, I'm trying to do something and then I like click up and I see there's a scribe for it and I get my question answered and it took me like 45 seconds and I'm on my merry way. Even though I've learned to expect that because I'm at Scribe, right? I still feel like surprised and delighted and a little giddy. You're like, oh, that could have been like a really bad 20 minutes of my day. And like, boom, here you go. I'm like, I'm on my way. And and that's wonderful feeling. So time savings are really important. But (laughs) I also like to think a lot about like, how do you manage people's energy, especially in sales, right? Like it's a time game, but it's really an energy game. Big time. Yeah. And I mean, this is totally off topic, but we're putting on an event and we've got a virtual event platform that we use and, you know, just setting it up and getting all the different things in place. A lot of times I don't know how to do it. And the main person who used to run it left the company. And so I'm in there like, God, if she just would have left me some scribes here, I would have been okay. And what would be cool too, is the chat person that works at the platform If I'm like, hey, how do you delete someone or how do you change a status on a ticket? If it just like a scribe popped up and was like, here, tick, click, 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 done. Instead, you know, they send me like a link to their page that just has a bunch of text on it, you know? So I'm like, oh, now I got to read this, you know? And the reason they do like the whole bunch of text is because the UI changes all the time, right? If they're a software company. And so they can't put screenshots in because it'll probably become outdated pretty soon. And every time something changes, someone's got to go in there and like copy paste, rewrite the text, right? About what it is. And that takes so much time. So what you end up with, you're totally right. A lot of help centers, this is a big pet peeve of mine, but I understand why they do it. A lot of help centers are like not very helpful because they're really vague because they're trying to fight this problem of having to update it all the time because it's so mm. time consuming or they're that just wrong. Sense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, that's, that's neither of these. These are really bad customer experiences on both sides. <laughs> well, it's hard. And so for you, as you're looking to go to market, are you thinking about niching down and going, okay, we're really going to go after this one segment or is it like right now, let's spread it as far as possible and then see where we start to see patterns. Yeah, it's a really great question. I think I like a specific answer for Scribe and then sort of in general for how I think about it based on the phase of company you're at. Like if you are pre-product market fit, then what you want to be doing is kind of like casting a wide net and see like, where do I have the pockets? Once you get the pockets, you want to like double down on those pockets, right? And you almost kind of ignore the rest as noise. So for us, like we have like pretty clear, they're more use cases, right? And they're, and they're the ones that we've talked through already. And those are the ones we really lean in on. We've got people who use Scribe for things outside of those use cases. We sort of say like, that's great, go to town, but we're not going to actively, you know, solicit or support those. 
you know, we are fortunate in that our go-to-market, like we benefit from having like a very generous free product. Most of our users are on our free product and that's great. They tell me all the time, they're like, your free product is so generous. Why? And I'd be like, I just want people to be getting value from it and using it. And that's wonderful. And then we have ways that you can swipe a credit card to upgrade, or you can talk to our sales team, right? If you're looking at something bigger or need, you know, some of our enterprise features, that works really well for us and means that like most of our conversations are all just about inbound. And so then it's really like, where do you spend your time among, it's not hunting, it's where do you spend your time among the inbound? Wow. Okay. This is amazing. It sounds like you got it all figured out, but I know that there's probably some stuff you that ne- you... you never do. It never feels <laughs> that way. I'll tell you. It's the goalposts. You know this, like goalposts oh, yeah. keep moving, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, once the company or once I hit blank, right, I'll feel better, whatever. And then you hit blank and you're like, oh, but actually, you know, blank plus one, right? That's really where I want to be. And so the goalpost just keeps moving and that's a good thing. If you're not constantly moving your goalposts, then you're probably not growing. Yeah. It's like a Miley Cyrus song, uh, Another Mountain, you know? <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. But yeah, that's probably the... That's it, right? And how do you balance, you know, you're the CEO. So you being a subject matter expert is like one slice of it. You have to be super knowledgeable about all the stuff that you do, but then there's all the business stuff and the, all the stuff that's not... I don't know. It seems not as much fun. How do you balance it all? <laughs> I don't have do a you? great answer for you on balance. Okay. <laughs> Someone has figured that out. Let me know. But I'll tell you how I think about sort of like allocations of my time, which is it's a mix of like making sure that we are hitting what we need to be hitting as a business and like making sure like my leaders are hitting where they're hitting and they have everything they need to be able to support their teams for where we're at today. But then making sure I still reserve a lot of my time for almost like being the advanced SWAT team for thinking about what are we going to need three, six months in the future, and then making sure that I'm laying the groundwork for that, right? Because most of your team is probably just, especially if you're in a fast growing environment, like they're just trying to hit their numbers today, right? They're just trying to kind of do their thing today. And they're probably thinking about tomorrow and next week, you know, if they're good at what they do, but they're not taking that long-term view, nor should they. And so a big part of my job is almost like what's coming around the corner that we need to be doing that I should just be thinking about now, right? So like a very simple example of that would be if we have to hire for a new role that we haven't hired for before, right? Like I should be going to talking to the people who are best at that role right now, even if we're not planning to hire them, even if they're not planning to leave their job, just to understand what excellent looks like and think about like, how do I lay the groundwork? How do I have a prepared mind so that when we go and hire for that role, build out that function, whatever it might be. Like, I know what great looks like. And I know the people to call who can, you know, help kind of like refer folks to me and build a pipeline. That's a really simple example. But like, to me, it's a balance between how do you execute today, but like, keep your eye on where you're headed. There's a really great phrase for this we used to use in consulting all the time, which is called dolphining. So like you jump up out of the water and you look around and you're like, where are we at? Where do we need to be? Like, where are we headed? Right. And then you dive down under the water into the details and you fix a bunch of stuff that's broken and then you come back up. Right. And you kind of course correct. And so anyone in any kind of role, I mean, I'd say even if, you know, you were in your first job out of school or whatever, like you should still be dolphining. It'll look different, you know, and how you spend your balance of time. But the most successful people are able to do that mix of both all the time. 
Oh, that's such a great analogy. I can totally picture the dolphin. It sounds weird when I first say it, right? Especially if you can't see my hand motion as I'm like trying to mimic a wave. But but I think once you explain it, it becomes obvious. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's so much knowledge. It's just, it's funny because my friend Greg, if he's listening, I don't know if he is, but he worked at McKenzie for a while. And I always give him a hard time because he finds some way to sprinkle McKenzie into every conversation that we have. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm it's so one of those cute. things. It's, it's like true. going to Harvard, right? You have to mention it at every turn because you deserve to, right? <laughs> I think for me, it's more, I'm like so self-conscious about the fact that I did do it, but it's because I was there for most of my twenties. I joined the firm when I was 20 years old. And so oh it just gosh. really shaped the way that I think about the world. And I think like anyone in any of their first jobs, especially if you stayed for a while, like it shapes your worldview a lot, right? So maybe for better or for worse. I feel like in my case, mostly for the better, I'm really thankful for it. Oh my God. It means I I like, I reference it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to be at one of those, the big four or big five or whatever it is, just to be able to go into different situations and just see it firsthand and then go from thing to thing and work really, really hard. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's a really great, it's like a training ground, you know, for future CEOs, if, if that's what they want to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think what's really great about it is two things, you get to work with really smart people and learn from them. And then two is curiosity is almost forced upon you, like in that you're in a bunch of different environments and your job is to kind of come in and figure out like very quickly, like what's going on and how can I make this better? I would argue you could do that at any job. You just would have to have the right mindset, right? You got to find in the job you're in, like, where are the smartest people here? How do I go spend more time with them? How do I like take more from them, learn more from them? And then you get curious. Like I've seen people who have had like excellent first jobs or early jobs in any kind of environment, but it's because they got really curious about something. And they were like, oh, I came into like this op center. And, you know, I said like, I think I can improve this by 10%. Give me a chance and I'll do it. Right. And like, and they go in and then like they change a bunch of things. And so you don't necessarily have to be like, there are definitely structural elements to it, but I think a lot of stuff is like what you make of it too. I completely agree. And the dolphin analogy is so great because I think of one time earlier in my career, I took a day off. I might have called in sick. I'm sorry, boss, if I did, but I took a day off and I just went to the beach and like had a notebook and just it was like a thinking day, you know, and I just, like completely disconnected. And it led to that curiosity, which then opened up like a whole new channel in my career. So it's really important to do that. I think we're such in a grind mode all the time that we just don't allow that. Especially if you're in sales, right? You're like, I'm just trying to hit my numbers. I have like one more customer to call, one more thing to do or whatever. But I like taking that perspective back, even on your life and being like, why am I doing this? Right. Like, why am I sales? Why am I in sales? Like, what is it that I enjoy? Like can bring you so much more energy and clarity because then you're like, oh, I really like these sets of activities. And I think I'm really good at them. Okay. So like, let me figure out how I spend more of my time doing those things and how I get better at them and all this other stuff that's really bothering me. Like, can I make that a smaller part of my day? Is there a way I can like give that to someone else? Can I automate some of it with technology? can I just maybe not do it? And that's actually okay. Sometimes like sometimes we can drop more balls than we think we can. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so this is, it's a great convergence and okay. So I have a link to scribe. So I'm going to go sign up. We definitely need that. 
<laughs> so I hope yeah. it helps you with your Google spreadsheet and your links to yeah. Google Docs. <laughs> it should at least be a lot faster. <laughs> I love it. And Jennifer, I've learned so much. If folks want to get involved or to at least connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So you can find me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Search Jennifer Smith Scribe and that'll be me. Folks can also just try and, and use the product. So like I mentioned, it's free. It's on our site, scribehow.com, scribehow.com. We clock this. It takes four minutes from the time you land on our website to the time you have created and shared your first scribe. So just designed to be super, super simple and easy. I issue that as a challenge to anyone to like try to make it more than four minutes. It's like very hard to get lost along the way. And we can also share a promo code for listeners if they want to upgrade as well. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Well, we'll get that for sure. And the last quick thing is I got approached to meet you from Danielle Burek at Lemon Pie. And she says, I'm a big fan of the sales development podcast. I'm hooked. <laughs> and I was like, really, Danielle? <laughs> so I'm going to quiz her on this and really see how hooked she is on this podcast. <laughs> You should like put an Easter egg in one of your podcasts. See if she finds yeah, it. Yeah, this is for Danielle. Okay, Danielle, if you're listening right now, this is I your Easter egg. You're... <laughs> but this has been so fun, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.